uh, guys, uh, Kobe and Hal were up all night with screaming children, so guys, I really appreciate y'all being here this morning, and if you fall asleep, I'm not going to hold it against you. Only today, though, that's only a pass for today. Um, just a couple of, of business-related items before we get started this morning. Um, one, if you look at the Faith Life app today, you're going to notice that there is a, a resemblance of what could be an outline, but it is not. Um, those are the things that we're going to discuss today, but um, just in the throes of, of getting everything else done, that, that got put by the wayside today. So if you're looking at that and you're going, my app's messed up, it's not, I just didn't complete it. So, and, and honestly, today uh, we're going to handle a few little business things up front. I'm going to share some testimony with you guys, uh, and then we're going to kind of talk about where I feel like the Lord is leading us for the next year. So uh, there's not a, wasn't really a whole lot of outline material there to start with anyway, so um, if you also, uh, we're going to talk about the budget here for just a second. If, if you want to pull it up, if you go to, Anna, put that link up there for me real quick if you don't mind. Um, TGP, or hold on, there you go, faithlife.com forward slash TGPW slash files. If you pull that up, there's some PDFs there that have uh, the two proposed budgets and then a letter from Glenn that I'll talk about in just a minute. So just hang with me and, and let me have your attention um, as I kind of discuss a few things about that and then um, afterwards you can, uh, you can look at that if, on your own time. So I know that some of you guys have already had a chance to look at that and I and Glenn have gotten some really good questions this week and so that's why I wanted to address some of those questions corporately so that everybody can have the benefit of those answers in case perhaps you've been uh, asking the same things. Our original intent when we, when we published these budgets were we'd have them out for a week and then we we're going to have the family meeting which was originally scheduled for today and then we would have our vote on the 20th. Um, but Glenn forgot that he was going out of the country, and so that put the voting and the family meeting on the same day, which during that family meeting next week, Glenn's going to explain a lot of the reasons that we did the budget the way we did. I'm going to address a few of those things today, um, but in discussion this week, he and I uh, have decided we're going to push that vote of affirmation back one more week. So we won't vote on the budget until the 27th. That way, um, you guys have an opportunity to hear from me and then also from Glenn and then have another week of, of prayer and questioning and then we'll have that vote affirmation. So just know that that's uh, kind of the way we've laid out there. So the question, one of the questions that I've gotten from a couple of different people is why do we have two different budgets this year? Both of these are proposed budgets. One of them is for uh, TGP West uh, for general operation. This is the same budget, same kind of budget that we have always had. So that's um, taking care of, of uh, my salary, Kobe's salary, um, and those numbers are in there. I'm calling it a salary. It's not a lot of money, but it's what the Lord has told, him that, told us both to, uh, to take. The second one is the TGP West network budget. Now, this is a new uh, budget for us. Okay? This is an operational budget exclusively for the purpose of planting churches. Um, if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that the gathering place, our call as a church is to be a church that plants other churches. Uh, and this is the Lord leading us into the next phase of that, and that is setting up eventually, I think the goal is for that to become its own 501c3, but at this point we don't have the infrastructure necessary in order to make that happen. And so we are, we are proposing two budgets that will both fall under the umbrella of TGP West. But one of the things that's really important to understand about that um, uh, church planning budget, the network budget, is that it will not be our church only that is providing for that budget. We have asked that the other two TGP churches, Rustin and Wardville, prayerfully consider giving to that budget, and we're asking for half of their budget, okay? 
as you guys will see as you study that budget, you'll see I think 49% of our budget for this year is going into missions, which I'm super excited about. That's been the vision from the very beginning, but we're just now getting to a place where we, we are able to do that. And so that's exciting for me. And, and we're asking, particularly Rustin, um, we're, we're strongly urging them to give in that way because it's easier to start by giving 50% away than it is to be in operation for a couple of years and then revert back to that. So um, anyway, that's, that's that. Uh, if you have any other questions in, return, in, in regards to those two budgets, please feel free to come and talk to me or one of the elders or Glenn. Um, but we will just be super transparent as to why we're doing things the way we're doing them. And Glenn's going to talk a lot more next week about the church planting network. That's just kind of uh, just a little, little uh, taste there, okay? So, again, our vote of affirmation for the budgets will be on the 27th. So that's not next week, but the following. Um, I had somebody ask me this week about uh, my salary amount specifically, and so I wanted to just take a few minutes and speak to that. Um, If you look on the budget, if you want to pull that up, you can. If you're not interested, it doesn't matter to me. But if you look at mine versus Glenn, there's a a major difference in in between the two. Uh, And somebody um, said, you know, well, that doesn't really seem fair, and it is, and I'd like to tell you why, Okay. Back in, I'm going to take you back, probably I think it was in 2009, um, Bethy and I first came on as staff at what used to be Donahue Church. And at that time, um, the church, you guys, if you know the history, you know that it was struggling a lot financially. Um, Bethy and I had just moved back to town, and Glenn and Talitha had lunch with us and said, hey, look, we're looking for some youth ministers, but we're broke. And I said, <laughs> good luck, you know. And, and, but Glenn asked me to pray about it, and, and so Bethy and I did. And very quickly, we both felt like the Lord said we needed to do it, um, and we needed to do it for free or cheap, okay. So they initially brought us on. We had a very small stipend, um, and, and that is kind of the beginning of our bivocational ministry career. Prior to that, Bethany and I had been in full-time ministry for our entire career. So we had both been full-time paid staff. But at that point in our life, God made a transition for us where he said, I don't want you to take your salary from the church only. I want you to get some of it from somewhere else. Okay. So um, that's kind of, that for me is how I got started in the the bivocational ministry. And and I can only speak for myself. I'm not going to speak for Bethany on this, but like God would have to write it on the wall for me to go back to being full-time ministry. It's not that I'm opposed to it, but I love what I do. And part of the reason for that is my job at Petron is part of my calling. And I've shared that with you guys before. God very specifically told me to go into work at Petron. And he's given me some goals and objectives of, for the sake of the kingdom and some things that he has for me to accomplish there. And so my call here as a pastor to TGP uh, and is, for me, of equal value as my call to be a sales manager at Petron. And that may be kind of new thinking for you guys, but I hope that it's not. And I hope that as, as you are considering your careers and, and what you're going to do with your life, that, that w- you would look at that as a, as a calling for yourself. Okay? So let's talk about in terms of, of my call here as, as a pastor at TGP. Um, I was sharing with somebody this week, uh, I am really bad about, and, and I know that Glenn struggles with this too, we've been talking about this as elders. Glenn and I have been talking about this for two years, okay? It, me eventually moving into the role of, of pastor here at the church. And so for me, I've been living in this information, the elders have been living in this information, and I'm really bad about it. If I've been thinking about something for a long time, I just assume that you know too. And I'll just throw a bomb out there, and then you're like, whoa, what the heck is going on? So if you felt bombarded by that, my apologies, because my wife can attest I'm terrible at that. Okay, so that's just something about me. About three years ago, when we first moved over to Aaron's office, God had been working in my heart and, and had been telling me that he was at some point going to move me from just from being a youth pastor into to pastoring adults. And, and honestly, like, that was exciting for me, but also, like, 
a little bit fearful because there was just a lot of unknown in that. But I had that in my heart, but I didn't really know what to do with it. But So it's just kind of in there hanging out, okay? Um, about a year later, I'd kind of been living in that for a year, and I'd mentioned it to Bethany a few times, but God wasn't saying, like, he wasn't giving me a timeline or anything like that. I think he was just preparing my heart because I love youth ministry so much. About a year after that, Glenn and I were meeting, and he and I were having a discussion about what it is to be a TGP, pa- TGP pastor. And one of the things that we felt like the Lord has spoken is that for the, for the majority of our pastors, that those are going to be called up from out of the congregation. And the reason for that is, is you guys know how long it's taken for us to get to the place where we are. We understand grace the way we do. We understand how abiding works and all of those things. And so to hire in somebody from outside of the body to come in and, you know, all of us in some way deal with pride issues. And so uh, for, to hire somebody to come in and say, hey, all those things that you think you know, you don't really know them, this is how we are, that's just going to be a difficult transition. And we felt like the Lord was saying that, that we're going to call up pastors from the body. And I, I think that's a very biblical way of doing that. If you look at how Paul plants churches, the people that are, that are being discipled by Paul then end up pastoring churches. And, and so we see that as a very biblical model. I'm not saying that if you go and hire a pastor, it's not biblical, okay? So don't hear me say that. What I'm saying is our call for our church was to, to call people up out of the congregation. Obviously, that resonated with me. And Glenn asked me to pray about that, and so I did. I began to pray about it, just like whenever he asked me to be his youth pastor, okay? And, and to be frank, I was really scared of a call to pastorship here because... Um, I felt disqualified. Like, I didn't feel like I had the, the resume that I needed in order to pastor a church like this. And so I'm talking to God about those things. Um, and I've got a couple of scriptures that I want to share with you guys today. The first one's out of Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 5. This, all of these things I'm going to share with you is as, as I'm praying, I'm, as I'm asking God questions, these are, are daily readings that are popping up for me, okay? In verse 5, it says, For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. When I read that, I really felt like that was the Lord saying, I'm not calling you to be a pastor somewhere else. I'm calling you to be a pastor right here among the people that you know, speaking the language that you speak. We have our own lingo here at our church. And I felt like that was the Lord saying, you need, you're right where you need to be. Okay? Um, it was also echoing what Glenn and I had talked about in terms of us calling up pastors out of the body. Okay? And just a little teaser for you. That means one of you guys okay, it's probably going to be called to be a pastor one day, and that may be way outside of your scope, and I hope this testimony can help you because, uh, well, we'll get there, okay? So, often I hesitate because of my own weakness, okay, and I know that you guys can, can appreciate that, okay? We don't think that we have what it takes, and, and Paul addresses this um, when he's thinking about his own weaknesses. In 2 Corinthians twelve nine, it says, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Okay, and that same day, this was on May the 5th of 2016, and I I want you to know that day, this is written in my journal, because I want you to understand, this has been a long process for me. This is not like, I didn't, Glenn and I didn't decide six months ago, all right, well, it's your turn. Okay, this is something we've been praying about, talking about for a long time. Tozer, I mean, uh, excuse me, uh, A.W., not A.W. Tozer, utmost, who was that? Oswald Chambers said, the moment that we recognize our complete weakness and our dependence upon him will be the very moment that the Spirit of God will exhibit his power. So I'm saying to God, God, I'm not sufficient. I don't have the things that it takes. And God says, I know, and that's right where you need to be, okay? 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 27, a couple of days later. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Okay, God, I hear you. I'm an idiot. We got it. We're covered, okay? So, so then, as I'm realizing, like, God is even more, like, I already thought I was weak, and God's pointing out even more of the weaknesses that are in me. Then I was like, okay, well, God, do I need to go back to seminary, okay? Uh, that's the thing that pastors do, okay? So I began to ask God, okay, I feel like you're calling me into pastorship. I'm getting firm in that. I also am aware of the fact that I'm super weak, and, and so do I need to go to seminary? And then uh, when I'm asking that question, 1 John 2, 26 through 27 comes up. It says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Okay, so I'm asking God specifically, I need to go to seminary. And again, the Lord is speaking and saying, will abide in me, and I got it. I got everything you need within me, okay? Not knocking seminary. Kind of would be fun to go, not going to lie, but also terrifying. But I feel like at this time that the Lord is saying that, no, that's not, that's not what's, what needs to happen, okay? So all of this is happening over the course of 2016, okay? And since then, I, I have written in my journal towards the end of 2016, I feel like God's calling me to be pastor, okay? And it Excuse me, at that point, after that, it was just a waiting game, just waiting for everything to fall in place. And, and I'll be really honest with you, like, I've not been in a hurry at all. <laughs> I love what I do. I love our youth ministry here, and I love working with these kids, and, and don't really plan to quit that. I'm not teaching on Wednesday nights anymore. Bethany and Kyle are handling that, and they're handling the, Bethany's taking over completely the vision of the youth ministry and all of that stuff, but I'm still helping and volunteering and loving it, okay? When... Yeah, I already said all that. I got ahead of myself, but we're good. Okay. All right. Um, so in terms of, of the amounts of our salaries, um, we spent a ton of time, and I'm just going to touch on this. Glenn um, wrote a letter to you guys since he was not going to be able to be here today. I have a copy of that on the Faith Life app right next to the budgets if you want to pull that up later and read it, or I have hard copies down here with me. I also have hard copies of the budget. If you'd like one of those after the service, feel free to come get one from me. Um, but Glenn wrote a letter kind of explaining our process because we have elder, as elders have been praying, what, since beginning of December, maybe before that, asking specifically, were we supposed to continue to pay Glenn, okay? Glenn brought that to us. It wasn't us going to Glenn and be like, hey, bro, you're out, you're out, okay? We've been praying together as elders because, again, guys, our heart is always, and you know this because you know us, our heart is to be obedient to God, okay? None of us are here to make a ton of money, obviously, Okay? But we're here because God has called us to be here. And in everything that we do, our heart is that we be obedient to what God is calling us to do. And I'll be honest with you guys. Glenn has tried really hard to get out of being paid by the church. He has gone to job after interview after job interview. And when things look like, man, okay, it's about to happen and God's going to release this hour. Because that would make things easier here if we weren't paying him, honestly. And he knows that, okay? And, and every time God shut the door. That letter is, is there for you guys to see that. But we as elders have have prayed and agreed together that Glenn is supposed to stay on staff there. He, he spoke that gener- really specifically through two passages, one through one that God gave me in 2 Kings, in turn, and that, that passage specifically was about splitting our budgets and having two, having a network budget and a TGP operational budget, and then also through Ben through Ephesians chapter 4. So all that stuff's in that letter. Really encourage you guys to, to pick that up and read that. I thought about reading it today, but it's just really long and um, and anyway, I think it would be a better read for you to, to just privately go through that and spend some time thinking about it. 
Okay, so we talked about a while ago, I mentioned that, that we're asking each TGP church to, to give it around 50% of their budget. And, and again, honestly, that's from the very beginning, we felt like that's where we need to be because, I mean, obviously you look at the building around us, it's in huge disrepair. It's been that way for over a year. And it's, because, it's not because we don't care. It's because this building is not the most important thing in our lives. The communities that we live in are the most important thing. The places that we choose to spend our money are on the people and the calling that God has for us and not on ourselves. We spent a lot of money at the Christmas party, and if you were able to be here, it was an incredible event. And those kids and the adults who were here felt so loved by this church, and we thank you guys so much for that. But those are the reasons that we haven't just hired a contractor to come in and fix the building. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a kitchen back, but I don't have the time to fix it. I have the skills, but not the time. Okay, and those that have the skills also don't have the time, but that's, that's why things are the way they are, and I hope that you guys all understand that, okay? Uh, another question that I got this week is, one of the light items on there says um, LBC, and so the question was, are we, are we contributing to SBC and the association and all of that? And the answer is yes. The line item just says LBC, but that's our cooperative giving, and it covers all three of those things. So we very much are still... Uh, giving what is asked of us to the SBC in order to support the ministries uh, that they do, in, including church planting, okay? Um, and then, uh, yeah, last thing was just, if you guys have questions, that's what this time is for. I really appreciate the honesty and the vulnerability that you guys have brought to us. Um, and again, you can speak to me, you can speak to, to uh, Jeff or Ben. Uh, Aaron Slater is also one of our elders. He and Glenn are in Honduras today uh, teaching 16 pastors and y'all this is so exciting to me I know we've had a lot of changes in the last couple of 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 weeks and in the last month but I'm so excited about we're I really feel like we're right on the edge of doing something incredible and and I say that because we have to be so vigilant because y'all we're we're right we're 10 years into this vision that God gave us as a church to be a church that plants churches and right on the cusp of that is when the enemy attacks right when things are getting to a really sweet spot and we're able to launch out. And Glenn has prepared us for that last month. If you'll remember, every time he spoke, he said, be vigilant because the enemy is going to attack. And so we just need to, to have that in our minds. Okay, so that's all the business matters. If you've got questions afterwards, please come see me. So for the last month or so, I've been asking the Lord, what, what are we going to talk about for the next year? I really like how we've been in these sermon series. One, it's just easy for me rather than every week going, okay, God, where in the whole Bible are we going to we're going to start at today. I like being in a series, and I feel like the Lord, Lord speaks uh, through that to us quite well. So as I've been reading, um, I, I, I came to the book of, of um, I'm gonna, I don't remember, I've forgotten how I looked this up, Philemon, how do you say that, Russ? Come on, help me out. Huh? Philemon. Philemon? Russ, you didn't say anything. Do you not know? Okay. <laughs> Philemon. I'm going to mispronounce that every time I say it today just for fun and because I can't help it. Okay, so it's only one chapter in this book. Uh, it's, it's a letter, okay, that Paul is writing um, to um, Philemon. I said it wrong again. You're welcome. All right, and, and, he's, and to give you some context around this letter, um, Philemon had a, a slave who took some things and ran away, okay? So he has, he has a runaway slave, and the slave ends up finding Paul. Now, Paul and Philemon had a relationship with one another. He had been one of Paul's disciples. They had done ministry together, okay? And this slave comes to Paul and says, look, and, and has come into a relationship with the Lord, so he's now a believer, and he says to Paul, 
I, I feel like the Lord is telling me I need to go back, but I'm afraid. One, because I'm a runaway slave, and, and two, because I've, I've stolen from my master. Okay? And so Paul is writing this letter asking for him to receive the slave back. And, and I felt like God brought us here because there's some very key words in here that I really think communicate God's heart for us over the next year. So let's jump in there. We're going to read verses 4 through 9. It said, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus. So Paul, uh, he starts this letter like he starts most of his letter. And I was telling Bethany last night, it's funny, like it's humorous for me to read Paul's letters now because he always starts with saying really nice things. And it's like, just wait, he's going to drop the hammer any minute, okay? And if you, if you begin to read the letters of Paul, you're going to see that over and over and over again. But Paul, again, he, he starts with, uh, with Thanksgiving. And I just want to, can I just take a minute and echo what Glenn had to say about you guys last week? If you were not here and you didn't hear that message, please go listen to the podcast. The, the whole thing was just admonishing you guys as a body and how much of a blessing it has been for him to serve you guys all these years. And, and I want to say that Bethany and I have been here from the beginning of the gathering place, and it has been an incredible blessing, and we love you guys dearly. And so I, I felt like it was just a really fitting way to begin this as we're looking at the next year. It's just saying thank you already for being who you are. You guys, this church, and I shared with you guys last time I preached and I cried about it and I'm sorry. Um, You guys have been such an incredible blessing uh, for me personally but also to my family, okay? So here we see Paul writing, okay? Uh, And this guy he calls a fellow worker. He's one of his converts while he was working in the church at Colossae, okay? And the idea here that that I really feel like the Lord is wanting to pull out of this first part of this verse is that we are in this together. That all of us need to be on the same page of understanding our call and what it means to be a member of the Gathering Place Church. If you haven't recently looked at your distinctives, um, if you don't have a copy of that, I'll make a mental note real quick to put that up on the Faith Life app as well. It's so good for you guys. I do it about once a month. I go back and I read through those distinctives because... Those are the things, those are the, the ways that God has told us to operate as a church. It's what makes us who we are as a gathering place, okay? But our work here together is, is a labor of love. It's going to be difficult, but it's, it, in the end, it's what God has called us to, and it's where we are going to find our joy and peace as we are being obedient to Him, okay? Um, the, next, the next heading I had there was continued growth, okay? I feel like this message... Um, that really comes out of verse 6, this is where I really keyed on when I first read this, um, is, is a, our like, verse really for the, for the first half of this year at least. Uh, I titled this message, um, well, what did I title this, this message? Let me go back up to the top. Community progression, there we go. Um, and, and for me, this idea, this, this verse, and I'm going to read it in just a second, has this feeling of, of forward motion, this feeling of, of movement. Um, last year, we spent at least the last half of the year talking about what it meant to be a multiplied community. And, and I feel like this is just another extension of that call for us 
to, to be a community that multiplies, that shares the gospel with those who are around us, okay? Um, and I was really already pretty confident that this was what the Lord was speaking. And then last week during Glenn's sermon, he preached out of the book of Colossians. In a couple of places, uh, it used the same exact word in that when it talked about knowledge. And, and Glenn has defined that for us before as gnosko. And, and today we're going to look at a little different variation on that same word. But that same word, epigenosis, was in that passage in Colossae. And so, man, when I saw that last week, I was like, okay, yep, this is it. So let's read that verse again together. Verse 6. It says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So this, this, this term full knowledge, the Greek word there is epigenosis, is relating to a knowledge of transcendent value. Okay? This is a knowledge that, that, that transcends what we think we already know and what we do already know. Okay? This passage and its wording carry this idea. What Paul is trying to communicate is, is that, that Philemon and we are on a constant journey. That, that as we know Christ, as we love him, that our knowledge is ever expanding and it does not stop. We will not ever get to a place where we can say, I got it, I understand everything there is of God, now what? Okay? As we, as believers individually, as we are learning and spending time with the Lord, our knowledge is going to continue to grow. Okay? I'm reading a new, a new book. Um, and I haven't mentioned this to you guys yet before. I haven't finished it yet. I'm about a third of the way through it. But it's one of those that I really feel like I need to just take in small chunks and process. But the name of the book is called Woke Church, an urgent call for Christians in America to confront racism and injustice. Okay? Eric Mason, the author, says this about this passage. He says, this knowing is a knowledge that comes from experience. It's not just information. It's a holistic knowledge made possible by and experience. By an experience, I'm sorry, I mistyped that. Okay, the knowledge, knowing is a knowledge that comes from experience. It's not just information. It's a holistic knowledge made possible by an experience. What he's communicating here is that this knowledge that Paul is referencing is not something that you can read in a book. You can't go to seminary and study theology and understand these particular things about God. You can learn a lot of things about God, but there are some things that the Lord wants us to learn about Him and about His character and about His ways that can only be experienced as we walk with Him daily in obedience. And that, for me, is, is the call that I feel like is on our church for this at least next half of this year. Now, don't let the title of that book scare you or let it scare you. I don't care either way. But we're going to deal with some things over the next year that are not going to be easy for me and they're not going to be easy for you. But I feel like that's where God is leading us. I've been reading a lot of books in that direction and I didn't go out looking for those books, okay? The Lord led me to those and I'm excited about it. But, but what I want us to understand is that we cannot gain this knowledge about God without walking with him. Okay, he's going to take us down new paths. Um, one of the commentaries I read this week said this, there's a great thought here. It means that we learn about Christ by giving to others. It means that by emptying ourselves, we are filled with Christ. It means that to be open-handed and generous-hearted is the surest way to learn more and more of the wealth of Christ. The one who knows Christ is not the intellectual scholar, not even the saint who spends all day in prayer but the one who moves among others in loving generosity. What God wants to communicate to us through this year is that while we have been making huge strides and learning what it means to live in community, we still have a long way to go. 
We're not there yet. And I think that we could all examine our own lives and we could agree that, to that. Okay? I read this in another book this week. It said, um, the faithful carrying out in life of what we already know is not the least important condition of increasing knowledge. Listen to carefully to this. If a man does not live up to his religion, his religion shrinks to the level of his life. If a man does not live up to his religion, his religion shrinks to the level of his life. Y'all, when I read that, mind blown. Because for me, that explains why the church is in the state that it is. And I'm not talking about just our church. I'm talking about the church globally. The reason that people run from the church, the reason that people um, run from anybody that calls themselves a Christian is because we collectively have not lived up to what it means to be a follower of Christ. We've taken little pieces and parts of what we like, and we've said, yeah, I'll do that part, God, but this over here, this is mine. I'm not going to let you adjust that part of my life. And, and so for me, as I'm thinking about this next year, as I'm thinking about God's call for us as a body, what I feel like the Lord is saying is, is that there are areas in each of our lives, mine included, that we have not fully given over to the Lord yet, and that we need to release those things and allow Him to work in our lives so that we can live up to the level of what it means to be a Christ follower. Will we ever get there? Heck no. Not until we die and go to heaven, okay? But we, our, our call as a believer is to continually strive to be like Him. He goes on to say, every loving thought towards the sorrowful and needy, every touch of sympathy yielded to, and every kindly Christ-like deed flowing from these thins away some film of the barriers between the believing soul and a full possession of God, makes it more capable of beholding Him and of rising to communion with Him. As we get down in the trenches, as we do the ministry that God has called us to do, it gives us new knowledge. It, it tears away the dead religion that's stuck in our lives that tried to inform us about who God wasn't. And it lets us see the reality of who God is. God is going to continue to challenge us to move further and deeper into our relationship with Him. And with that call is going to come new challenges, okay? We're not going to cover all this today, but in the future, we're going to look at this letter and we're going to look at Paul's appeal to, uh, to Philemon to, to receive back the slave, but not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And Paul even says in that passage, whatever he owes you, I will pay. But do not take him back as a slave. Take him back as your brother in Christ. Okay? And this is hugely challenging for him because it's going to be a, sac a financial sacrifice. He's losing a property. Okay? It's going to be a social stigma. That's not something that was normal. You didn't just free a slave, okay? And it's going to be humbling because he's going to have to have conversations with those in his life. We already know that he is in leadership in a church. And so he's going to have to talk about his own sin in front of some other people. But that's what Paul is asking for. Look, I'm convinced that the reason that so much injustice exists in the world today is because we aren't out there being who God has called us to be. The reason that some of these things that I've listed, things like racism and injustice, and there's a whole plethora of things that fall underneath that umbrella, the reason those things still exist, let's just talk about in America, is because we as the church are not following Christ in those areas of our lives. Now look, I'm going to be the first to tell you, I am not the authority in any of those things, and this scares me to death. But here's what I know. I know that God has called me here. I know that God has called me to this and I know that he's already told me that everything I need is within me as the Holy Spirit. And I also know that there are people in this congregation who have studied this for most of their lives. And I'm going to lean heavily on you guys. Okay? 
So we have a journey to take together. I'm excited about it. Okay, God's been working this stuff in me for many, many years, and, and I'm nowhere near the end of it, but I'm excited about the potential. Okay, justice is not an idea. It is a characteristic of God, and when we deny our community, when we deny the people around us justice, we are denying them God. Justice is a big deal to God, and it should be a big deal to us, okay? As followers of Jesus, it is our collective call to seek justice. I was, I was praying about how I need to approach this topic, okay? And, and this morning, this was in, uh, in one of my devotionals, and I felt like it was so good, I just needed to, to read it to you guys because I find myself in it, and I think you probably will too. It, the, the scripture reference, uh, and this was uh, one of A.W. Tozer for today. It's Hebrews 5, 12. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Tozer said this, Probably the most widespread and persistent problem to be found among Christians is the problem of limited spiritual progress. Why, after years of Christian profession, do so many persons find themselves no farther along than when they first believed? The causes of limited growth are many. It would not be accurate to ascribe the trouble to one single fault. One there is, however, which is so universal that it may easily be the main cause. Failure to give time to the cultivation of the knowledge of God. The Christian is strong or weak depending upon how closely he has cultivated the knowledge of God. Progress in the Christian life is exactly equal to the growing knowledge we gain of the triune God in personal experience. And such experience requires a whole life devoted to it and plenty of time spent at the holy task of cultivating God. God can be known satisfactorily only as we devote time to Him. Our call to this community, our call to the people that are in our lives, is a call that is not going to be easy. If we really consider the things that God is asking us as believers to deal with, for me personally, some of those things are daunting. I don't even know where to begin. But I know that God is calling us as a body collectively to attack those things together. When I say attack, I don't mean we're going to be standing with picket signs. Okay? I mean prayerfully attacking. Fervently asking the Lord, how do we deal with these issues that we find in the lives of people around us and in our lives? Okay? In letters to the church, I went to one of the life groups this week, and they're, they're doing a book study, and I think several others are. But in, in letters to the church, Francis Chan points out that God demands everything and is pleased with nothing else. Our call as a body is to give up everything about ourselves. That means we don't get to think about ourselves anymore. We don't get to ask questions like, well, who's going to take care of me? We don't get to ask questions like, um, well, is this going to cost me too much money because I may not be able to go on vacation this year? It means um, I'm going to have to give up a lot of my time or probably all of it for the sake of this ministry that God is calling me to. Guys, that is the call of the church. I know that for years, myself and you were taught as growing up by well-meaning people the church was something you did during Sunday services, maybe Sunday school, maybe a Wednesday night Bible study, maybe a Sunday night Bible study. That was church, and then you had the rest of your life. We've talked a lot about removing the sacred-secular divide in our lives. And I need you to understand with me. I need you to walk with me in this. God demands everything. 
everything. If you need to kind of let that work out in you, if you need to deal with that, I can recommend a great book by Kyle Eidelman called It's Not About Me. Start with that one, okay? It can't be about us. It's got to be about God, okay? But look, the good news is, is if we're doing all this correctly, the motive, if it's, if it's proper, as we are walking through these hard things, we are going to experience joy and peace that we never could have imagined existed. But we only receive that as we're walking with him, okay? Even though the work will be heavy, the load will be light. Listen to this. This is one of my daily devotions this week. It says, Those who fear and fail to act confuse the right of Ecclesiastes' times of mourning and dancing. They don't acknowledge the judgment of John the Baptist or the joy of Jesus. For those in his audience who refuse to acknowledge his words and miracles, Jesus pronounces a judgment far worse than that of Sodom. Those who respond with humility and faith, however, have the promise of rest. Jesus invites them, take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and, and um, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This response is an act of faith. We need to rely on God's word and his spirit to judge the events in our lives and help us to respond with faith. Look, if you fight the call of God, your life is only going to get harder. If you submit and say, okay, God, I'm going to do what you're asking me to do, doesn't mean that the work is not going to be heavy. It's going to be heavy. But he will lighten your load. Paul ends the, the passage with this, and I call this the appeal, okay? So this is my appeal to you guys. Three verses, eight and nine. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner in Christ. Look, we all know I am bold enough and just dumb enough to say, this is what we're doing, church, let's go. It's not what I want to do. That is not who we are as a church, and that's not who we have ever been. And I'm not going to start now. My appeal to you guys is let's do this together. And the motive has to be our love for Christ. That is our call as a church. God is not saying to us, I want you guys to come do these really hard things because it will make me look good. God is saying, I want you to do these things because there are people who are suffering and you are in a unique place to help them. And we do that because we were in the middle of suffering and Christ gave everything for us so that we could experience joy and peace. Why would we not share that? Is it going to cost us personally? Yes. Is it going to be difficult? Absolutely. I'm not going to shade it and say that it isn't. It's going to be hard. But you know what's really great about doing hard stuff? Is when you have people around you helping you do hard stuff. I can think back in my life and some of the times, was, times were the hardest. And, the, and, and those times are the, are the things that stick in my mind as also the most joyful times. Because I had a group of people that were like-minded that were around me and we were working towards the same goal together. That's our call. Work together, love people, okay? I want your motivation to be a relationship with Jesus. I do not, please hear me, do not do something just because I ask you to. Can you make that commitment to me? Do not do something just because I ask you to. You ask the Lord. Over the next few months, 
We're going to talk about stuff that requires a lot of research for me, okay, and study, and probably for you as well, okay? But the, the purpose behind all that is we can gain new knowledge, and we're not just going to gain it by reading the books. We've got to put those books into practice. We've got to, you know, obey God as he's calling us to do stuff. Last chunk of scripture I want to read today is out of James 1, through 27. You guys are familiar with this. Preachers have used this a lot. But I want you, again, to understand that my motivation behind this is not to just make you do some stuff. It's because God has a calling on my life and he has a calling on yours. And my motivation is love, and I want yours to be the same, and I want us to do it together. He says this, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself sustained from the world. Church, it's time to be a doer. I'm going to be a doer and I want you to do it with me. Okay? We're going to saddle up. We're going to get it done. Okay? Sorry, that was a little cowboy terminology. All right. I'm going to make a little transition here. Over the last few years, Bethany and I have been working here with the youth in this in this community, okay, in this particular location. And, and look, let me, let me just let me clarify something for you real quick. God called us to this place, to this very place, this very building, this community is where God told us to plant this church. And so it's very clear and very obvious that the children and the adults that live in this neighborhood, we are called to serve them, to bring the love of Christ into their lives, okay? And Bethany and I have, have been working with Brittany and lots of other volunteers over the last couple of years, loving on this neighborhood, and y'all, it has been the hardest and the most fun we have ever had, okay? We, we have asked you guys to, to each life group to come uh, twice a year and just come hang out with us, and, and next week, we're gonna, Bethany's going to talk specifically about what the expectations are for that, but this week, we, as I was preparing and reading all this stuff, and obviously Bethany and I are talking at night, because that's what husband and wives do, um, she shared a story with me. Uh, she reminded me of an experience that we had here, and, and I just, I loved it so much, and Glenn and I have been talking about the last couple of months, the need for us to do more sharing of testimony. Um, because it's so good for the body. He mentioned last week what a huge impact it had on the church in Ruston when Kobe and Carly went up and when Hal and Hannah went up and when Levi and Ashley went up, how it just, man, their growth just, just started going. So as Bethany is telling me this story, and there were aspects of it that I didn't remember because I'm not good at that, and there's aspects of it that I don't think that I ever really knew. But as she's telling me the story, I was like, stop, stop right there. You have to share this Sunday, okay? Because it's about... Um, our work here in this community, but what God does in the lives of these kids while we're here. So, Bethany, if you'll come up, I think this just this tone of testimony does a really good job of illustrating um, what happens in the lives of others as we walk in obedience uh, to God, even when even when things aren't easy, when it, even when it's difficult. So, yeah, Ben says yes.
Um, yeah, Will said a big part of it um, when he was talking about the importance of sharing testimony. And, and the reason that we need to be sharing these testimonies is because they are testimonies of our experiences of what God's doing. And, and the only way that we can uh, share that experience with you guys is, is to give that testimony so that uh, we can corporately experience what God is doing. Um, so, um, hey, Anna, can you put up that picture? This is Kennedy. Um, Kennedy used to live in the neighborhood um, up until last year, and uh, she came from a family of six siblings, and they lived right over here in one of the, the trailers for a while. Um, Kennedy came from a family situation that is far too common in this community. Um, her, her parents were separated. Um, her mom struggled with addiction. Um, there was not much money in the house at all. Um, there was rarely much food. They often did not have electricity, and there were many times when they didn't have water either. Um, and, and this is, is just, uh, you know, the life that Kennedy and her siblings lived in. And so um, on Wednesday nights when we would open up the gym, they would be there waiting for us. Um, and we provide a, a light meal on Wednesday nights. And so for them, that, that's their, uh, their supper that night. And they didn't have anything from when they had lunch at, at school until they got to us on Wednesday nights. Um, so I, I wanted to tell you guys a, a story about Kennedy. Um, one Wednesday night, I don't remember the, the exact details of what happened, but she got into a little spat with one of her siblings. Um, she had been having, all of them had been having a rough time. They had gotten evicted from the trailer that was here, and they had moved down to a house just a little ways down. Um, but they still didn't have any electricity. I'm not sure that they had water either. Um, and uh, they were in this constant state of uh, not really knowing you know, when they were going to, what they were going to have for supper that night or uh, necessarily where they were going to sleep. They spent a lot of time kind of in their car in, in between things because the car had a heater. Um, and it was cold. It was winter. So um, Kennedy was there at the church and uh, her emotions were on edge. She was hungry. She was frustrated from life. She was um, honestly scared from when you're a kid, she's, she, Kennedy's about six years old. Um, and, you know, to have that much uh, turmoil and unknown going on constantly, it, it just causes um, kids to kind of live in this constant state of, of fear. Um, and so because of all of that, she did something like she took a toy from a sibling or something. I don't remember exactly what it was that she did. Um, and if she... I don't even remember. She might have hit a sibling, but um, usually we would, if, when we have larger problems like that with kids, we, we would end up just sending them home and saying, hey, you can come back next week. Um, but we couldn't send her home that night because her, her mom wasn't home. Um, we didn't even know that night which place would be home. Um, that's how kind of uh, the unknown that they, they lived in. We just had to look for where her mom's car was parked to know where to send her. So um, we couldn't send her home, so we sat her down or told her to sit down in a chair near, near the door, just be in timeout, basically, until you calm down for a little while. Um, but that threw Kennedy into a tantrum. Um, 
and again, she's six years old, but she kind of turned into, it turned into this like two-year-old tantrum, um, which is so normal for kids who are going through a lot of trauma. All of that hurt and fear and anger and coldness and sadness, all, all of that just starts coming out at once. Um, and, and those are huge emotions, and she doesn't know how to handle those things. So um, she melted out of the chair and onto the floor of the gym and threw a like kicking and screaming, crying tantrum. And Doug, being the amazing Doug, the amazingly patient Doug, um, just stood there with her. I don't know if you remember this night, Doug. Um, he's had many light nights like this, actually, with lots of our kids. Um, Doug just stood there with her and, and uh, made sure that she was safe and that others were safe and, you know, and that she didn't run off, um, because we've had that happen before, too. Um, and so he sat there with her. And after a while, Kennedy worked through her tantrum and got back in the chair on her own. Um, and I looked over, and Kennedy had gotten a sheet of labels, and she's kind of doodling on, on the labels. Um, and she wrote her name on one, and then right underneath, she wrote, I love this church. And that's important because just minutes earlier, I forgot to say she was busy saying, I hate you, I hate this place, I hate everyone here, I don't want to be here, and I'm never coming back. And that also is something that we actually experience a lot over there in the gym. Um, when something happens and we have to send a kid home, we usually get told that they hate us and they're never coming back. And they're there the next week. A lot of times they're trying to come back in within 20 minutes. They're saying, can I come back inside now? Um, but I, I chose um, to keep those labels because uh, just a couple weeks after that, Kennedy and her siblings went into foster care. And that was just uh, about a week before Christmas. Um, we, in fact, we had had the church Christmas party planned, and that year we were giving out presents to each of the kids and had their names written on the presents. Um, and so I had names written for each one of those siblings on a present. That's how close to Christmas it was that they were taken into foster care. Um, and so I went into the gym the next week and saw that the labels were still sitting there. So I took them, and I've, I've kept them on my folder. This is just my folder of important papers that I need to bring back and forth to the church. Um, but I keep it right there as a reminder that um, Kennedy knew that she was loved no matter what. Kennedy knew that even through her absolute worst behavior, we were going to love her and accept her, and it was our hope that she would know through that love that we gave her that God loved her no matter what. And that is our biggest goal, that, um, that our, our teenagers and our kids learn on Wednesday nights is we want them to know that God loves them no matter what, and we want them to have a relationship with God. And ultimately, we want them to have the tools necessary to continue to grow in that relationship with God. Because, as I said, Kennedy's story is far too common in this neighborhood. We never know when we're going to see these kids again. We, we never know when they're, they're going to have to move in the middle of the night or they're going to end up in foster care or living with another relative. And so all we know is that we've got this short amount of time with them to show them unconditional love and to tell them that that unconditional uncond love comes from God. And then hopefully if we have enough time with them after that, hopefully we can give them some tools so that wherever it is that they end up, they can continue to grow in that relationship.
um, that's really honestly what, what I wanted you guys to, uh, to hear. Um, and so we're asking for, for the next year, um, we want you guys as a church to um, experience what God is doing because he does miracles over there, you guys. I mean, he did a miracle in just providing this, this building and that, and that gym. I don't know if it's occurred to you guys, but this building is literally central in the neighborhood. And so in order for the kids to get from one place or another, they have to cross through this parking lot. Um, and so they end up coming to, to see us on Wednesday nights. And he does things that would seem so small, like sitting next to a child while she's throwing a tantrum. Those are miracles that God's working in their lives. Um, and so we want you guys to see that. We want you guys to experience God through that. Um, and, and so we're asking that you, you would come hopefully twice in the next year to just, um, as Will said, hang out, just to watch and see what God's doing. There are going to be some opportunities to serve in that. And honestly, we're still working through the, the details in how that would work. Um, so as Will said, we do not want you to come because you've been asked to come do something. We want you, what we want to do is just be able to provide mission opportunities for our life groups and to say, here this is, here's a Wednesday night mission opportunity for you guys. It's a short-term mission. Um, And for you guys to come experience what God's doing and serve. Um, And then just to... I don't know, you guys. Just hear my heart on this. What Will said, I don't, don't want y'all to come just because you have to. We don't want it to be a requirement. We want you to come and experience God through those miracles that he's doing on Wednesday nights. So that's it. Thank you, Beth. Honestly, like from my perspective, it would be selfish of us to not invite you. I mean, that's really kind of how I feel about it. Um, you know, and... Anyway, I could talk all day about that because I'm passionate about it. But that's the reason for the invitation. Um, we, we've spoken to your life group leaders and kind of expressed the expectation for those nights. So if you've got more questions, go see them or certainly go see Bethany because um, she's running the show over there now and I know nothing. Yes. All right. Not that I don't love it. I do. But I got other things to focus on. Look, we love you guys immensely and I hope that you know that. Um, and when I say we, I'm talking about myself. I'm talking about my wife and I'm talking about the elders. We love you guys so much, and we're so thankful that y'all are a part of our body. And these types of experiences, like Bethany had with Kennedy, you don't get to have if you don't walk with God where he, where he leads you in the hard places, okay? All right, let's pray, and we're going to get out of here. God, I'm so thankful that you allow us to be a part of what you're doing. God, I'm, I'm nervous and I'm scared about the next year, God, but I know that... Um, that you have confirmed over and over and over again um, your call for me and your call for this body to continue to pursue you into hard places and to deal with difficult things that we aren't necessarily excited about dealing with. But God, we know that in order for us to be obedient to you, in order for us to truly communicate everything about who you are, there are areas in our lives that we need to address, that we need to understand. God, areas that we have intentionally turned a blind eye to that need to have a light shown in them. And so, God, I ask that, that we, as a church, Father, would just pursue you with everything that we are and that we would do this together, that it wouldn't be out of a sense of obligation that we follow you, but, God, it would, our motive would be our incredible love for you, that we would reciprocate the fact that you gave everything for us as we give everything for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.